Welcome to Rates and Barrels, episode number 136. It is Thursday, September 10th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we're going to discuss struggling stars, the idea of sophomore slumps. Are they real? Are they like the Loch Ness Monster? Wait a minute. The Loch Ness Monster could be real. We haven't ruled that out completely just yet. Uh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some struggling pitchers as well. So stars really on both sides in the wake of Eno's piece that went up on The Athletic on Thursday. And we had a good follow-up email related to command that we talked about on our episode on Tuesday. So we'll talk about that as well. Eno, how's it going for you on this Thursday? That's good. I woke up with... A dog, a puppy dog, and two boys in the bed with me and my wife. Um, I think there was maybe a smoke inhalation-related bloody nose for one. The other one said his room was too dark and his his belly was growling because he was hungry. And I think the dog was puking or something. So, <laughs> you know, great way to start well, your day. One of those mornings, and I just, I love them all to death, but uh, I love my sleep too. And I was, uh, for a long period of time, an only child with a single parent. So I got a lot of sleep. (laughs) And there was nobody in the bed with me, and there was none of this nonsense. So I try not to be uh, too too much of a growling... um, upset dad on these days because it's still cute and it, you know they need their love but at the same time get out of my bed i like that there's a, a lifetime's worth of things that happen to you every morning between the time you wake up and the time we start to record this show <laughs> well yeah i mean uh the they are uh, chaos creation machines uh, children and puppies, for sure. Yeah, I, I like that you've got a house full of them. It just makes life uh, a lot more fun. <laughs> My wife is like, I'm running a farm. She wakes up in the morning and she has to. She loves uh, plants, and she's uh, got all these um, alocasias and uh, orchids and bromeliads and just all this stuff. And uh, half of them, I guess she has to water every morning. So she has to water the plants, feed the cats. And the cats and the dogs are getting to a detente, but at the same time, they kind of... Um, it's like a little bit rough to kind of feed one and not the other. And the dogs aren't allowed to eat the cat food, so you have to... We put the cat food up on a stool so that the cats can get up on it. And they knock it down. You have to, uh, and, uh, oh, did you poo over there? Did you pee over there? What's going on? And they hey, kids, will you eat your breakfast? You know? <laughs> Woo! It's so far. Sometimes my wife and I look at each other. It's so far from when we were, like, uh, in our early 30s, living in New York City, uh, waking up at 10 a.m., uh, 11 a.m. on on weekends and just being like, what are we gonna do today? Nothing. Yeah, sure. Let's do nothing. <laughs> that be fun. Let's just do nothing. Yep. I think you got to move to an actual farm. I think the uh, the activities, <laughs> the pets, the people. You need space. You need room to roam. You need yeah. you need places for these children to play and and these animals to. Uh, not kill each other, but uh, <laughs> if you got any leads on a nice little farm for, for Ito and his family, hit us up on Twitter. Uh, let's talk about some struggling stars, though. You had a piece that went up on The Athletic Thursday morning, and you looked at some big hitters who just have not delivered at the levels that we have expected. The piece featured 
Christian Yelich and Nolan Arenado and Francisco Lindor, Javi Baez, Pete Alonso, and Gleyber Torres. We're not going to talk about all six of those guys in detail because hopefully people listening to the pod uh, have or will read the article at some point in the near future. But uh, I do think the theme with a few of these guys is that we have players who have complained about not having as much access to video in-game. And I've wondered, what types of things are you doing with in-game video that you simply can't do pre-game with your prep? Like, what's, what's missing? What notes are you unable to gather watching the pitchers you're likely to see ahead of time? Obviously, you know who's going to start that day, so you can get video on that guy. Is it the bullpen at bats, especially that are extra uncomfortable? Like I've really kind of struggled to figure out how there hasn't been a counter adjustment made by some of these elite hitters who've talked about that being a big problem. Yeah. Javi bias, uh, groused about it recently. JD Martinez brought it up. Uh, I had a major league hitting coach tell me that it's a bigger deal than people are making of it. So it seems like it's a real deal, but I also share this, wonder like what exactly they're doing out of it maybe it requires a story to kind of uncover it because i don't have an answer i don't think you're like really necessarily looking at mechanics in game mechanics are almost tough to do in season mechanics are like often a end of the year you know off season thing you know like are you really going to be changing a large part of what you're doing with your hands or your legs you know in game um in terms of tipping that yeah okay you're looking maybe you're looking for tipping but that sort of research is done by the coaching staff and everybody else on your team and also is being done in real time from the dugout you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you could talk to a player that just came off and be like do you notice something when he's throwing fastballs or whatever it is you know um so i don't think it's tipping so the thing that i i come upon is pitch selection and I'm also surprised that they can't just remember. Oh, he went, he went slider away, fastball in. You know what I mean? Like, I'm surprised there's no, there's no like, uh, or go to someone who's charting the game, right? Go to your hitting coach and be like, what did he send me? What did he do again? He did fastball slider. But I've talked to, I've talked to players like I was talking to Alex Wood, and I was talking about throwing to Yasmani Grandal, and he thought I meant pitching to him. And he related a pitch-by-pitch at-bat from, like, four years before when he had, like, pitched to Yasmani Grandal. (laughs) That's that's a different sort of personality or different sort of brain, right? I mean, I I think maybe part of what the issue is is some guys are are visual learners. Some guys are going to be able to pick Mm. things up off of the written reports a little easier, right? It's it's all going to vary from player to player a little bit. I've coached players when I was a high school soccer coach who remembered – details from games before I was even coaching them or things that happened in games two years prior that I had even forgotten. And I feel like I'm pretty good with recalls. And there were just some kids I had that were phenomenal in that regard. Yeah. They could remember every single thing. They said, oh, I faced this kid in a U12 tournament in PKs, and he went <laughs> upper 90 to the left on me. And I'm like, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm glad you remembered that because you can you can decide to guess that way in PKs if we face them here in, in high school as a senior. I'm not good like that. Like talking to Jason Stark about, you know, trivia, you know, he'll, he'll remember trivia and be like, well, 
Maybe I could do it if I had my computer in front of me. <laughs> I've outsourced memorizing that sort of stuff to my computer because it is way better at it than I ever was. So that could be it. I mean, that could be really be it. Maybe I should see in myself uh, what J.D. Martinez and Javi Baez are struggling with is just sort of remembering what happened in the last at bat and remembering the sequence and remembering what the pitcher was trying to do. Um, but there, there's like, still seems like there's other ways to do that. Like go talk to the hitting coach or go talk to somebody else who has that memory or, uh, look at the, there's gotta be somebody charting the game. So, um, maybe the person charting the game, oftentimes a pitcher is not allowed to be in the dugout with you. So this seems like something worth, uh, poking a little bit more, but it had, I think it is, um, it is worthwhile. And I think it goes hand in glove with another uh, realization that's interesting that is that came from Craig Edwards' piece about on Fangraphs about how pitchers are ahead were ahead of the of the hitters going in and one of the things that was going on was that hitters in the early parts of seasons apparently take more pitches and I think what they're doing is basically playing the long game where they're just going to take a bunch of pitches early on so they can see what pitches every pitcher has. And then the next time they see them, they've seen all their pitches and they're ready to... There's a sort of accumulated knowledge factor, right? And if you, in my piece, you look at uh, Kristen Yelich, uh, Nolan Arenado, um, Gleyber Torres, uh, it's like three of the six, and there might be a fourth. They're all swinging less than usual. And Christian Yelich in particular, early in seasons, swings less. Late in seasons, swings more. And when he's swinging more, that's when he really takes off. I mean, if you think about some of Christian Yelich's really blazing white-hot um, stretches of time, they usually come in the second half or sort of May onward. Um, so... We think of this last year's this last month as August, and what's also funny is that August is the best time for power. So you might have just taken a bunch of pitches in the best month for power, right? Because of the weather and, and factors that enable the ball to carry really well. Because of fact, yeah, because of weather mostly, which is a thing that it does not change. Even though we started our season in August, and so therefore they're taking pitches like it's April. The weather is like August, and so that's the best time for power. So. Uh, it, it, there is a chance that the sort of grip it and rip it types um, uh, did well. But then you look at Javi Baez and you look at somebody we might look at in a second at, at Alberto Mondesi. Those are grip it and rip it types and they're not doing well um, playing April style baseball in August. Um, but uh, it's a lot of different things going in different directions where you have, you know, no video and your April approach and, uh, you know, uh, I do also feel Javi Baez. I feel what he's saying when he says it's the video, but he also hear him sort of and everything else. So like he thought he talked about, oh, it's this is crazy season. He kind of trails off, you know? Uh, so there was one question that was like, maybe some people's hearts aren't really in it just because it seems like such a weird season. It's, um, you know, it's a 60 game season. Maybe they feel like it's just illeg- illegitimate and there are all these rule changes and they can't, uh, do things that they normally have, and there's no fans. Like, I could see their heart not being in it because, honestly, and, you know, I, I might have admitted this before, but, like, I had periods of time in the last six months where I was wondering if, you know, this is what I was going to do for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think everybody's having 
different versions of those thoughts, if not those very same thoughts, right? Like it's just a, it's a global pandemic, the first of our lifetimes, and it changes the way that we approach everything. There could be any number of factors that are causing some players to either lose focus or just not have that extra drive. I mean, the absence of fans is probably a bigger deal than most people have let on. Playing in an empty stadium is weird. Not getting that rush from the crowd in those situations where you're used to getting that is weird. And I I do think the environments for getting into the ballpark, while you're probably used to that, that's still very different than what you've been accustomed to for the last 10 plus years of being a professional baseball player for a lot of these guys. That's different. Obviously, road situations are completely different. The Mm. schedule's different. You keep seeing the same teams over and over again. So that's kind of weird, which you'd think would maybe speed up the process of, of hitters getting a little bit more aggressive, not having to wait as long to see pitchers that they'd seen just the week before. Right? Maybe you'd be getting along to the point where you're saying, all right, I'm comfortable. I know what this guy's bringing to the table. I'm going to be more aggressive this time around. I don't know if that's really been the case to this point either. Uh, but yeah, so everyone's kind of got a different sort of theory on this, but and everything else is just such a good blanket in, in a way where it's like, well, the thing that's bothering Javi Baez right now might not be the same thing that's bothering Chris Bryant or might not be the same thing that's bothering uh, J.D. Martinez or anybody else in this piece or not in this piece. Um, but interestingly enough, too, you know, there are some players that you didn't include in here that were brought up in the comments. Bryant was among them. Bryant, I keep just looking at and saying he's hurt. And I, I think the follow-up question is, is he ever going to be completely healthy again? He had the major shoulder injury a couple seasons ago. Last year, I thought was really kind of a, a true sort of bounce back for him. 31 home runs was his best total since 2016. Uh, he's 4.8 wins above replacement, so kind of close to that MVP sort of level we saw at the beginning of his career. Uh, that seemed like a pretty healthy sort of bounce back, but he just got held of a lineup on Wednesday with an elbow issue again, was on the IL a couple of weeks ago. So when you see something like this, where a lot of the players you wrote about, there were still good underlying numbers. Maybe the plate discipline was largely intact, or with Yelich, the hard hit rate was still there. You know, with Bryant, you're seeing a walk rate that's been cut in half. You're seeing more strikeouts than ever, and you're not seeing as much hard contact as you've seen in the past either. So is it easy to just say, yeah, this is it. This is just an injury? You know, I think so, but there's... um something that makes me uneasy about the continual decline in certain stats. You know what I mean? Like some part of me is like, maybe he's just aging. Well, I think with Brian in particular, go back to the beginning of his career, average exit velocities, 89.7, 89.3 from 2017 on we're at 87, 85.8, 87.5 and now 86.3. That's a pretty big drop, right? It's full. It's two full ticks. Like when, when young players are coming up and they're hitting in that 87 mile per hour range, we always say, well, is there going to be more power? Is there going to be another level? And when you fall into that level, but you previously showed us something that's better, it's a, I think it's a harder question. Can you get back? Can you get that power back? Generally, aging curves say, nope. But if you've been battling injuries for multiple years, you're at that crossroads. Is this injury ever really going to go away? Right. Or is this just the new baseline? 
we're we've put enough distance between his shoulder injury <laughs> and now that I feel like it, there's either another injury that we just don't know about or it's just age. And I think it's even more stark if you look at barrel percentage because it's just more gradual and he never really had that bounce back that he had. When you say 87.5 exit velocity, this is what the barrel rate was like. He went, he started 11, 11.5%, which was actually, at the time, top 10% in baseball. 11.7% in 2016, 96 9.5%, 9.3%, 4.6%. Yes, the 4.6 is stark. Perhaps uh, he should be getting closer to a 7 or 8. Perhaps there's more barrels in his bat. The launch angle is still high. You know, maybe he just uh, is having these early season foibles. And one thing that occurred to me, too, when we were talking about uh, the absence of fans, you know, it's been proven, uh, you know, I was a psychology major, it's been proven in psychological research that you just remember things better um, when there's a positive emotion attached to it. And that is used in coaching a lot where um, even if you're not like an edutronic data tech guy uh, as a pitcher, your coach will look at the data and he'll say, oh, that was a good pitch. And he'll say, attaboy. He said, that's what we want. That's the curveball that we want. That was great. Good job. And, you know, anybody who's parented or tried to train a dog or, or anything knows that that's but but fans do that. Right, when you have when you when you're going well and you have the good swing going, fans will let you know. Right, it's positive reinforcement. Yeah, positive reinforcement, and and that's missing. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily you know Bryant has swung so many times that you know I think that might be maybe more of an issue for someone like Lyra Torres or a younger person who's still kind of solidifying his mechanics maybe. Um, but, uh, for Bryant, when I look at him, I just see age and at 28, he's two years past his peak. Uh, I might, I might buy if the price was real low for this year, just, you know, just to like as a lottery ticket, just be like, Hey, you know, maybe, maybe he'll get it going. And, but I wouldn't buy him at, uh, in dynasty at a high price, um, and I don't know if I'd sell yet because this is a pretty low point to sell at. Uh, but I would be looking for an opportunity to sell, basically, in a dynasty league and in redraft leagues. I there we will talk about better buy low pickups if you still have some time left before your trade deadline. Yeah, I keep looking at him. I have him in a dynasty league. Didn't trade him for the previously mentioned poo poo platter that was offered to me by Tom Trudeau, and I have some regrets just from a hey, that might end up being the best offer I get in the long run if what we're seeing from Bryant continues. But I think there's enough there. Like If he can just get back, if he can show us that 2019 is the new baseline, I can get a little more than what I was offered in that trade. That's my hope anyway. I don't think he's getting back to his early career levels. I think if you're hoping for that sort of rebound from Chris Bryant, you're hoping for too much. And I'd be very surprised if he gets back on track before the end of this season. Yeah, but he's closer, you know, when 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 Joey Votto, uh, you know, the the interaction of age and how far he is from when he was better um is better than like when Joey Votto lost it. Um, you know, cuz Joey Votto was older um and he had just a stark of a drop in his sort of stat cast and barrel rate type stuff um that presaged uh, you know, the the player he is now. Uh, but he was also in his 30s. 
So that's why I would wait for, you know, Chris Bryant's decent 20, age 29 or age 30 season. Is this, is he a free agent? No, he lost that grievance. So he's got another year with the Cubs. You know, it, it works out okay for him, actually. <laughs> I mean, this way, at least, he's gainfully employed. He doesn't have to hit the market and take some, uh, you know, Donaldson-esque uh, pillow contract. Yeah, you're you know, right. This way, he might just be under contract with the Cubs and have a better year and hit the market at a better time. I think there's a, a health component to the next player we're going to talk about as well. Adalberto Mondesi. I did not realize how bad he has been at the plate so far this season. How about a 203, 227, 272 line? Mm. That's a 29 WRC+. plus. Uh, he's been a below replacement level player so far this season, and that's with being kind of an average sort of defender based on uh, the grades there. This is troubling, and I, I think the biggest thing I would point back to is that he had off-season shoulder surgery. And while we assumed that extra time to recover while everything was stopped back during the spring would enable players like Mondesi to come back at full strength or closer to full strength. Maybe that was an unfair assumption to make. Uh, but the other part of this, too, is that we're we're talking about a very unique player when you look at his profile, right? He's an extremely low walk rate guy, strikes out quite a bit, makes a lot, of course, with the speed. He's 12 for 18 as a base dealer. So as bad as he's been from a real-life perspective, at least you're still getting the stolen bases you signed up for from a fantasy perspective. It's been a, a batting average drag and uh, certainly not much to go with it in the counting stats. You don't usually see a guy with 12 steals and 13 runs scored. That's a pretty hard thing to do. Uh, but when you're only on base at a 227 clip, you can't score that many runs. So as you look at the overall body of work from Adalberto Mondesi, do you have any sort of adjustments you're making to your expectations for him going forward? I don't know. He's just so not my type of player. Um, you know, if you if you want to sell me a guy with this kind of walk and strikeout rate, then he's got to have Teoscar Hernandez balls in play. You know, and I mm -hmm. do realize that Adalberto Mondesi's defense gives him a much softer landing than Teoscar Hernandez. But we're talking about fantasy where everything the bar is ratcheted up for everybody. And if you look at his barrel rate last year, 7%, that's just not enough for me. That's above average. You know, in 2018, he had a, a, an 11% uh, percent barrel rate. If he if he can get back to that, but right now he has a 4.6% barrel rate. So I'd say he's about half of what he needs to be doing in terms of barrels in order for me um, to really want to take part. I have zero shares. I've never owned a share of Adalberto Mondesi. And I just, to me, it was like uh, like a slight step above Malik Smith at shortstop. Uh, but, I, you know, obviously 2018 exists. And so there is another season in him where the power and the defense and the speed make him a really valuable player. I just don't know that I'll ever own it. Maybe next year if there's a huge discount. Um, take him as a bench piece, but that's about all I got for you. Yeah, I think there's going to be a pretty big discount. Uh, I'm 
intrigued because some of the underlying numbers are still okay. Yeah, the exit velocity has gotten up a little bit, yeah. Now, 111 max exit velo is good. Best of his career. one on flies and liners looks pretty good. Like, it, it's... The approach has always been bad. Like we we've right. we, we haven't changed there really at all. It's only a slight downturn from the pretty terrible levels of, of last season. It's a more extreme version almost of the Jonathan VR problem that I described a while back, where I can't bring myself to draft Jonathan VR at his twenty twenty ADP because I don't think he's a very good real-life player. Yeah. I, even though I know I'm not drafting him for that, right? Mine is close to that. The defense does kind of get him a little bit out of that, but he's close to that. You just look and go, wow, Like this this could be bad. This could be a bottom third of the order guy that he's a, he's a nine-hitter who drags down your batting average, doesn't score a lot, doesn't drive many runs in, gets to some power, and steals a, a ton of bases, which is... It's a funkier version of a former Royal from a profile standpoint of like a Gerard Dyson. You get more playing time than Dyson ever had, so that's right. good. Um, that's a that's a boost, but uh, it's a really challenging player to have. You have to kind of make adjustments to your foundation if you're going to roster him. You have to build. You have to build around him. Like you have to believe in him and build around him. Maybe not next year when you can take him on the bench and if he hits 260, he's playable and everything's fine. Uh, but you know, in a year where you have to spend uh, to get him, you know, for modesty, you'd have to, I would have baked in a 300 hitter. I would have had to like pair him with like Michael Brantley, you know, that's that's a pretty simple adjustment though. Right? Like if you think about it, like if if all you have to do is seek out one really high average guy that basically washes away the low average, that's not that much extra work to do. Well, there's just fewer and fewer of those high average guys these days. I mean, the major league batting average is like 250. Yeah, but the ADP 31. So Alberto Mondesi that was looking just like way too high for me. A, a really frustrating and disappointing player, despite the fact that the speed has been there. I, I see him as more of a long term buy, though. Like despite those flaws, like if I could get him in a keeper or a dynasty league right now, I'm going to do it because that speed's going to be there for a while. I don't think they're going to give up on him. And some of those underlying numbers that we mentioned are encouraging. Um, J.D. Martinez is is pretty fascinating because I thought he was one of the safest players in the pool. I thought he was actually one of the more underrated early round picks on draft boards this season. It just hasn't played out that way so far. I mean, the one warning that I threw out there all along was, okay, this lineup's not going to be as good without Mookie as it was with Mookie. But Look at JD. Like he doesn't look like himself at all. Two sixteen, three hundred four, three eighty five is the slash lines, and eighty one WRC plus. Uh, just four home runs on the season. He's been part of the uh, group of players talking about the video and how difficult it's been to adjust to not having that available the way he has had in in past years. So, is JD Martinez a, a viable bounce back candidate down the stretch or beyond this season? I mean, I wish he'd been traded because there's probably some element also of just being like, oh, I'm on a crappy team again and we're not in it. And, you know, there's not usually people on base and nobody's nobody's here. Nobody's watching. Nobody cares. Um, So there's an element of that. But also, I think there's uh, an element of randomness. Um, I just wanted to look at his splits uh, from last year. And if you I know. The world doesn't work this way, but if you just uh, put March and September together, uh, his ISO for those two months combined 
would be less than the ISO that he's he's carrying right now. Um, so I feel like uh, when I look at his process stats, when I look at his Statcast stats, um, there's uh, nothing that that stands out as as poor. I mean, yes, his barrel rate uh, back in the in the salad days was more like 15 and 18 percent, more like leading the whole league, and now he's at 10 percent. But 10 percent is still pretty good. And yes, his max EV used to be around 115, 116, and now it's 111. 111 is still pretty good. So you know, when I look at him, I I see a guy. It's actually the opposite of some of the things we've been saying. I see a guy that I wouldn't necessarily buy in a keeper or dynasty um, for the future. Um, I, I'd buy him for win now. I would buy him for a league this year. I would buy him uh, for a league for next year. I would not buy him much beyond that because it's just going to keep going away. He's going to have an 8% barrel rate at some point, and he's going to have uh, a 108 max below and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, definitely age is coming for him. He's 33. Uh, he probably has like two or three more good years as a fantasy um, boon, and I think this year will be one of them. Um, but I don't know that long term. Um, there's I, like I just you know we look at his swing metrics, you look at his stack cast, they're they're all in line. He's fine. He's he's totally fine. Would you trade for him then if you were yeah. a major league GM and you're looking at two years left on that deal? I mean, at twenty three, almost twenty four million dollars per year for these next two years. The only thing is that like people are risk averse, and um, uh, don't, we don't know if fans are going to be in the seats, and so the money would be the biggest difficulty. Uh, like I think it would have been an, a really, really interesting thing for the Padres to do instead of Mitch Moreland is get JD Martinez, but they would have needed the Red Sox to pay down like half the deal, and you know the Red Sox being like okay. You know, you need us to pay down thirty or forty million dollars right now, when we might be having cash flow problems, like a lot of teams, um, and we don't know if we're going to have fans in the seats next year. Like, I think we'd almost rather, you know, just keep paying him his game checks. You know what I mean? Right. Um, just ride it out, and not have to pay. Sending you some some portion, or, or or agreeing to trade away someone like we're hoping to maybe rebuild fast. You know, that's that's definitely something that Heim Boom would want to do. So maybe J.D. Martinez would be part of a good um, Red Sox team. So I think the money was the big thing. If you're talking about fantasy, yeah, I'd trade for him. One more hitter to discuss, Marcus Simeon, 216, 275, 358. That's a 74 WRC plus uh, five home runs this season. He's chipped in three steals as well. K-rate is way up, and that was something that was uh, – at a career best level a year ago, 13.7%. He walked more than ever last year. Really did everything. Maxed out playing time. Got to more power than ever. Uh, we talked about Semyon having the problem of nowhere to go but down because of playing time volume last year, but this is much different than that. Uh, what do you make when you look at some of the underlying numbers for Semyon at this point? You know, it's interesting. Like you say, you see something like his, you know, his ex Woba is better than his Woba. I mean, it's only a little bit, but. I just wanted to point out X-Woba is broken right now and I would not use it. Um, this is, I think, something that might be useful for people as they're perusing StatCast. Just do a simple thing. If you can do the search, do Woba minus X-Woba by team uh, for 2020 and you'll immediately see why X-Woba is broken. There is only one team outperforming its X-Woba. That just 
<laughs> that that can't like something's wrong. If there are yeah. you know that many teams that are underperforming, um, and you look at somebody like um, uh, Arizona, uh, where you know the collectively the team is is fourteen points under their ex woba, like that doesn't make any sense. Um, Oakland is twenty six points under their ex woba, that doesn't make any sense. So. X-Wolf is broken. Uh, you got to kind of try to look at the underlying stats and figure it out for yourself. And when you do look at those underlying stats, something actually st- stood out for me. Um, if you look at uh, Simeon's barrel rate, so let's say you were going to project his barrel rate for this year. You know, just because barrel rate is good does not mean you don't regress it. You know, everything, even the stickiest, best year-to-year data always gets uh, regressed. Uh, somewhat to a mean and also has some sort of aging factor, right? That's just how projections work. That's how aging works. That's how people work. Like, even if you had a really good season, even if a lot of things you're doing right, you can do right again, you you know that you're going to kind of regress back to what you've been before. So if you look at Simeon's barrel rate in 2017, 2.3. In 2018, 4.3. In 2019, 7.4. If you just did a, a simple Marcel uh a projection and, and Marcel's basically take five um, of last year, three of the year before, and two of the year, the two of the year before that, and divide by ten. It's a very simple projection technique. It's called Marcel the monkey, and it it does really well. Uh, it's basically the beginning for any projection system is to start there. If you did that, you would uh, give him a five point four percent barrel rate. If you add any aging, you're probably talking about five point two five percent barrel rate. Right now, his barrel rate is 4.5. So, like, I think he's kind of just regressing to who he was as a player. You could do it with just simple slugging rate, where it was like 435, 398, 388, 522. What what would you do with a player like that? You would regress him back closer to 400. So maybe the 358 is too low, but it's not too low by a lot. You could adjust that and say, okay, maybe he's been 435 was the previous three-year high before last season. Yeah, maybe that. Maybe you go back to yeah. there and say that's the, the baseline. So, I mean, I would expect, um, you know, there are some of the same um, caveats that we have for the other players in terms of, um, you know, just trying to figure out the season and uh, you know, also like just, it's been even weirder, I think in Northern California than in some places like in the last week they played maybe three games that uh, on days when I did not go outside. Mm-hmm. Like, because it was either orange, like it's orange sky again. Am I going to run today? Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's a little bit weird to ask them to, to go out there. It's a little bit weird to ask them to go out there in a pandemic. And it's even weirder to ask them to go out there and like play when they're not supposed to, when their lungs are filling with crap. Um, so I don't know. I think he's, he's, uh, an amazing role model, uh, has worked hard to get the most out of what he has. Um, and, I think he'll do a little better than he's doing, but I also uh, didn't have any shares of him because it was a pretty clear kind of career year. Um, And I don't think that people regressed enough off of that. 
No, but if you could go into 2021 and you're looking for 240, 250 batting average, 15-ish homers, another dozen to 15 steals, like he's done that enough times yeah. where you kind of see that, that as something he'll get back Seems to. Seems like a very good like AL labor type buy next year. You know, Actually, he's a free mm-hmm. agent, so wherever he is. It looks like – I think he's like a very good monoleague buy next year where you buy him for five or six bucks and he gives you like $10 in production. Yeah, maybe a really nice middle infield filler in deeper yeah. mixed leagues as well, the, despite the, the downturn in production for Marcus Simeon here in 2020. Now is the time to celebrate. Football is finally back, and DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports, has millions of reasons why you should be excited. To kick off the football season, DraftKings is giving new users a free shot at a $1 million top prize with a total of $3 million up for grabs in this Thursday's football contest. That is tonight. Get in on Thursday night's single-game showdown. All you have to do is download DraftKings using the promo code MAYS, M-A-Y-S. Draft six players from the season opener. Stand to the salary cap and see how your team stacks up against the competition. So head to the app now to start making it rain. Plus, new users sign up today on DraftKings using the code MAYS will receive a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. Nothing adds to the sweat of watching the game like having a shot at a million-dollar payday. Download the DraftKings app now and use the code MAZE for a limited time. New users can get a free shot at the $1 million top prize and $3 million in total prizes. Don't miss this extra special week one bonus. Enter the code MAZE to get a free shot at the $1 million top prize with your first deposit. That's code MAZE only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, you know, let's talk about sophomore slumps for a second because I was looking through the comments on your piece from this morning and that was brought up uh, with Pete Alonzo. And I went from kind of believing in this or at least abiding by it as I built fantasy teams when I started playing in my late teens and early 20s. And then I kind of laughed about it for 10 years as a completely ridiculous sort of thing. But then I kind of landed more in this middle ground where I think the sophomore slump sort of exists. It just shouldn't be called that. It's not a not a thing that happens because it's your second year in the league. It's a thing that happens because the league is very smart and very difficult to be successful in. And if you have a weakness, the coaches and players you're facing in the major leagues are going to find those weaknesses and exploit them. And every player is going to have a varying ability to counter-adjust to those things. Or they might not have a counter-adjustment at all. They might just be a flaw that was found and the baseline comes in a bit lower than it appeared to be when the player arrived at the big league level. So can we say that the sophomore slump exists, but just needs to be renamed or just has a little more nuance than people would like? Um, Yeah, I think of a few things. I mean, in the context of like just having talked about Marcus Simeon and regression, (laughs) like I, I think that anytime someone comes off a peak season, um, unless they're kind of Mike Troutish and like, that peak season just fit in with the rest of their, <laughs> their, their offerings. Right. Um, I think that you always, you always want to regress back to the demonstrated abilities that they had in the larger sample before that. So the problem with the sophomore slump is that you don't really have that before. And so people think sometimes that Pete Alonso, you know, comes on the scene, hits 53 homers. That's his demonstrated talent level, but it's like it's not and and then one of the ways that you can also think about this is the the vast majority of the evidence is that with aging curves that 
players now enter the league at their best and then go down from there. Aging curves used to go up and then down. And then for the most part now, they just plateau until 26 and then go down. And I think that has to do with better player development. It has to do with better like player development in like high school and college. And before that, you know, like better independent player development, not even just like MLB player development. And then sometimes it has to do with um, just a a book. Like the book is changing on Pete Alonso and it looks like people are starting to climb the ladder on him. And it's on him to prove if he's Schwarber or Bellinger or if he's Brandon Moss, um, as I wrote in the piece. So is that the right, is sophomore not the right term or is it just regression? Um, I don't know. What do you think? I like, I guess it is a sophomore slump, but it's, it's not like every sophomore has the same, like same slump. There's like Juan Soto is not having a sophomore slump. Right, but there's fewer holes in this game. Like you might right. find yeah, that's one what weakness, it is. Yeah, but, it, it's, but with another hitter, you're going to find three right, or four. Yeah. And correcting one thing is pretty easy. Correcting three or four things is really difficult. Like, is Keston Hira going through a sophomore slump right now? I, I just think these are adjustments. Yeah. Like, it, it's boring to call them adjustments. You know, it's it's not worth two points in categories. But I, I don't know. Like, you look at this situation for Pete Alonso. It's like that's not a sophomore slump. That's that's clearly the league making the changes you described. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening when production goes down in year two. Sometimes players figure it out within that same season. Sometimes they don't. But I think if you could call it up early enough, your sophomore slump, as people would call it, could be a second-half slump. It could be adjustments that happened mm-hmm. on the fly mid-season that teams made against you, the book got around, and then you struggled to make those adjustments. I mean, even for a guy like Dan Vogelbach, who got his first extended run as a regular last season in Seattle, he was an all-star on the strength of a great first half. Clearly, the second half was nothing like the first half. He got DFA'd, ended up changing teams twice already this season. Like The league kind of figured him out, and he hasn't been able to show that he's counter-adjusted just yet, and now he might be because of limited defensive value and a bunch of other factors might be on and off rosters. He might be a Brandon Moss guy that bounces around, finds a new home for a little while, eventually is there for a couple of years and then kind of moves on quicker than you expect. Like that's a pretty normal sort of development for, for that type of player. And it's, uh, yeah, it's not as, it's not as sexy as something that has alliteration and (laughs) we love our alliteration, but, uh, yeah, we could have we could have seen this in the second half for Alonzo last year, you know. Um and you know, to to because we didn't um I'm maybe not so worried about him. Like with a a person that can go oppo as well as Alonzo did, like he he did the weirdest thing where he like hit uh he won the home run derby with oppo home runs, which I or at least like center field and slightly oppo, which I've never seen before. I think that somebody who can do that can handle the up and away pitch better than someone like Brandon Moss, who was, you know, pull city. Um, so I have a fair amount of confidence that Alonzo will pull through this, especially given how hard he's hitting the ball and how his swing rates are fine. So the verdict, sophomore slumps, kind of real but more of just adjustment phases that young players are going through not anything specific to that second season 
like we don't know the true talent level of a rookie. Yeah, after a rookie season, we don't really know it 100% right. yet. Like we don't we really don't know the true talent level of a prospect. That's obvious. Then when they play one season, sometimes we split flip a switch and say, "Oh, we know exactly who that player is." We don't. We know more than we did when they were a prospect, but we don't know everything. Right. Plenty of examples of players actually getting a lot better than you know what they were upon arrival. We talked about one on the last episode, Shane Bieber. Uh, struggling stars on the pitching side, I think, are also interesting to talk about. Matthew Boyd was on the opposite side of a Corbin Burns gem, uh, a crazy 19-run performance from the Brewers' offense yesterday. But Boyd looked like maybe he was starting to put the pieces back together in his last couple of starts prior to Wednesday. I think among qualified pitchers, he's now by far the worst in terms of ERA this season. Uh, what's gone wrong for Matthew Boyd, and, and is it fixable? I, you know, I think that sometimes you have to trust your approach and your, and what it says. And I think I talked myself into uh, Boyd to some extent. Um, I need to find my rankings here, but I was looking at it this, this time and like, I have an 87 stuff number for him, a 102 command number for him. And in terms of strength of schedule, I have a 99. So below average stuff, slightly above average command, um, and basically an average schedule. Just like the best that can produce is an average pitcher. Um, and you throw on top of that, one thing that stuff numbers do do not capture almost anywhere is the question of how many pitches a person has, because stuff just looks at how good the pitches are. It doesn't. It's agnostic of how many pitches you have. So Matthew Boyd has always been a two-pitch pitcher, and I had some hope for him the last three or four starts where he started throwing the changeup, and I still have some hope for him that if he can throw the changeup 10 to 15% of the time, he'll have these occasional blow-ups because the stuff is not amazing. Um, but he'll become a viable uh, year-long pitcher. But you zoom out, he just hasn't been a viable year-long pitcher. I don't think there's any season where you can point out and be like, that season was just a really valuable glad I had Matt Boyd on my on my team all year long kind of season yeah I mean look, being a big league pitcher is hard that's sort of a an underlying caveat of all the conversations we have but we're looking at guys who's got a 509 ERA but my personal feeling for him also may have clouded my my analysis I, I'll have to admit it I mean he's just a really nice guy and gives good interviews and is seems very willing to kind of bear himself in terms of like you know you kind of root for a guy like that but yeah what did you say 509 for his career career 509 and we're talking about 127 career yeah. starts now this is not this is not the first two three seasons in the big leagues this is more than four years worth of starts and, and you still you look at that strikeout rate minus that walk rate it's improved every year and it's still pretty not except for this year but it's still pretty good this year and you say there's still a chance there with that strikeout rate and that walk rate but then your eyes wander over to the home run rate and that's the two pitch aspect so I, you know if he comes out throwing 20 percent changeups or 15 20 percent changeups i mean right now he's at 14.8 um you know i uh, maybe dfs type stream type situation though times well 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 i'll use them but um in my most recent ranks i i 
I dropped them all the way down to 127 next to like Steven Matz and Jake Arrieta. It's like the boring veterans that are sometimes useful, but uh, can also blow the heck up out of your uh, team. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that is where he belongs at this point. Uh, let's talk about Luis Castillo, still missing a lot of bats, 31.1% K rate, getting a lot of ground balls. The ERA doesn't look that bad at 395. He kind of caught my eye because the whip is really bad. He doesn't give up a lot of home runs. He's actually posting the best home run rate of his career. He's just been weirdly hittable. Is this a fluke? Is this just a, a small sample? We're talking eight starts for, for most of these guys, eight or nine pretty consistently. Is this just some some noise for Luis Castillo? Is he still someone that should be looked at as an, kind of an ace on the rise, maybe a fringy top 10, top 15 sort of starting pitcher going forward? Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna say it's it's a bit of a fluke, and I'm I'm still in on Luis Castillo. You know, if you look at his career BABIP, even with this year included, it's 278, it's 387 this year. Almost every other thing is in line. His ground ball rate is second best of his career. Strikeout rate, best of his career. Walk rate in line with his career. Home run rate, best of his career. Like these are all important things, and there's no like uh, velocity problem. Velocity, best of his career. Uh, he hasn't really changed his pitch mix in a huge way. So uh, I see him as um, I've got him seventh. I'm still way in the tank for him. Uh, the only asterisk I have for him and the only reason that he um, fell a little bit uh, or was hard to rank was that he has a 102 strength of schedule. And I, you know, I used uh, pitcher list Nick Pollock's uh, schedules um, and then I assigned basically a park factor and an opponent team strength factor uh, to that. And the Reds have a decently tough schedule. Um, guys like Tyler Molly. Tyler Molly, I think, has the worst schedule remaining in baseball. And um, that colors it. However, a guy like Tyler Molly, it almost only matters what his next start is, right? And his next start is St. Louis which, yo, I'm into that. Yeah, I'm not fearing that Cardinals lineup. No, no, I'm not. So um, Luis Castillo, I think, is a little bit impervious to strength of schedule. I think he's just going to regress towards, in a good way, progress, regress in a positive way. I don't know how, how to say that. It's just a weird weird concept, uh, but that's, that's what I think of him. I, I, I don't see any warning signs. Let's talk about Chris Paddock for a moment. 475 ERA, that's a little bit inflated. Home runs have really been the culprit for him. He's still missing bats, uh, not walking guys. It's still really just a two-pitch mix for the most part. We do see some curveballs, but I'm not really sure what to make of, of Paddock's struggles. I was probably a little higher on him than most coming off of the season he had a year ago. The whip's up a little bit to 125. I mean, this was someone who... I don't know if anybody was penciling him in for the same ratios as last year, right? A 333 ERA and a .98 whip is almost impossible to repeat unless you're the elite of the elite, and nobody was at that level with him. Uh, so is this just within the range of, of normal outcomes for the skills that we saw last year where 2019 was kind of the best it can be and 2020 is kind of the worst it can be, and the answer is probably somewhere near the middle, which is where a lot of the projections are going forward. I I would love to pick him up in a dynasty league. I would love to pick him up in a long-term league. I'd love to draft him next year at a discount. Uh, although when I said that on Twitter, Rob Silver um, thought that there wouldn't be any, any sort of discount for Paddock. But 
I have to believe there will be some because I dropped him to 26 for this year uh, behind guys like Lizardo and Corbin. Um, and, bes- you know, behind, behind, behind a guy like Plesak, just because, A, uh, you know, I think there's a mechanical issue uh, working on the cutter and the curve, uh, removed two inches of ride from his fastball. So his fastball is more hittable this year. And I think that it's also affected his command of the fastball a little bit. Um, and two, I think that, I think that while I think that's fixable, I think that's easier something to fix in the off season. Um, and so therefore, and thirdly, he has a one Oh four, uh, strength of schedule, which is pretty tough. Um, ahead of him, only Ryu and Walker Bueller and Clayton Kershaw, uh, have tougher schedules. Uh, they're better pitchers right now. I'm looking at the command plus column too with Paddock. 115 command plus. Still there. I'm in. I'm still trying to get Chris Paddock. I think, you know, Rob might be right. You're probably not getting a steep discount in keeper in dynasty leagues because major league ready pitching is at such a premium in those mm-hmm. formats, but he might be more gettable. You might have an owner willing to deal even if you're not getting a discount compared to this time a year ago. It would have been pie in the sky, completely impossible to even get that person to answer an email or a phone call. And you might be able to give him um, a lot of present value uh, to get that. You know, like I would do something even, I think, on the level of like a Kenta Maeda, uh, maybe even like a Kenta Maeda and Lance Lynn for Chris Paddock and something else. Because I I feel like Maeda and Lynn, you know, with a little bit of velocity drop off are not going to be as good as they are now. Um, And Paddock is more at the beginning of his career. So as long as that second piece coming back uh, was good, like uh, and pretty good, I guess I would I, I might do something like that. Like just give them, and especially if it's like a keep six situation and you want Paddock for your one uh, pitcher keeper, then you could throw a lot of uh, pitchers at somebody to get it. Yeah, you need the right situation. You need someone who has Paddock and doesn't necessarily have six great keepers already. If you get a little depth, you can leverage. Maybe there's mm-hmm. an angle there. Uh, you mentioned you had Patrick Corbin ranked ahead of Paddock, I think, just in passing. Uh, Corbin's been off the last couple of starts. Al Melky and I have talked about it on Fantasy Baseball in 15. Velocity's down. We talked about him a while back as a two-pitch pitcher who might be uh, kind of a younger version of, of Rich Hill in, in some ways. But for the mm. season, the K rate's down a lot for Corbin. Uh, the ratios have turned pretty ugly. A 434 ERA, a 147 whip. I mean, strikeout per inning stuff, or at least close to it, is where he's been to this point. Home run rate is up again for Corbin as well. I'm a little spooked by what we're seeing from him, given especially the velocity drop. I just don't think a two-pitch pitcher can afford a velocity drop like the one we're seeing from Corbin, where he's lost about two ticks off that fastball. Not a great um, keeper situation. Um, Definitely something to think about long-term, because you can just look at the shape of his career, too, um, and and realize that, uh, you know, at the beginning... Uh, two of his first four seasons, he had a 4-5 ERA and a 5-1 and 5-2 ERA, basically, um, as he struggled to sort of make the most out of that two-pitch mix. He also, we talk about how pitchers age, starting pitchers age better if they have more pitches to go to, and his changeup has never been good, and his curveball is just a slower version of his, of his slider. So he really, really is a two-pitch pitcher. Um, I Part of the reason I kept him where I kept him is... Um, I have a 97 strength strength of schedule for him. Um, that's pretty good. It's one of the better ones. Um, you know, Zach Greinke probably has the best strength of schedule remaining. He has a 90, 
but otherwise a 97 sticks out as, uh, you know, I have Patrick Corbin there at 97 and I have Sixto Sanchez behind him. Um, and on, on, on sort of stuff and even uh, command and, you know, what I think of them, I think I have Sixto ahead of Corbin already. Um, but Sixto is running into a, a bit of a schedule thing at, at, uh, with 104 there. Uh, so Paddock and, and Sixto just stayed behind Corbin for now. There was a little bit of a soft spot there where I was trying to decide how far up I would push Sixto, basically. Yeah, you got a pretty nice little cluster here. Lizardo, Paddock, Sixto, and Barrios at 25 through 28. Uh, four pitchers that I like quite a bit. And I think projecting Sixto's 2021 ADP... Oh, God. Goodness. I mean, like if you had to do it today he'd be in the top 100 overall. Like, I, I think there'd be that much helium based yeah. on what we've seen from him so far. But the underlying numbers seem to back it up. Yeah, I mean, uh, here I've got 110 stuff, 106 command, and it's pretty easy to see that when you just watch him. I mean, he's throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs with a really legitimate, almost screwball-esque changeup with just a ton of drop. Um the re- I watched his breaking ball closely the first couple starts because I was wondering about the lower strikeout rates, but I think the velocity was just lower in the minor leagues um, at, at, at a lot of times because he was kind of going through some problems, shoulder problems and, and, and arm problems. So I do think um, the risk actually for Sixto is health more than anything because the breaking ball looked fine to me. The strikeout rate is pretty much there. He's not going to be a guy who relies on weak command. He he does a weak uh, contact. He does get that with a 59% ground ball rate and you know some 60s in the minor leagues. Like he does get the weak contact. The changeup does lead to um, outs without the strikeouts sometimes. But the breaking ball was good too. I don't think that um, the breaking ball is going to keep him down in that seven and eight K nine. I think he can manage the caper inning. The real question for me is health, just because it's been a question for him throughout his career. Yeah, he's really, I mean, he's really similar to Paddock in a lot of ways with that profile. More velocity than Paddock, but mm-hmm. just same kinds of injury concerns, uh, a lot of swing and miss, of course, coming from the changeup, and whether or not the third pitch is consistent for Sixto Sanchez probably determines whether the ceiling is legitimate like top 10 starter or if it ends up being more 20 to 30 range starter for him but he's already sort of pitched his way into that 20 to 30 range which is really impressive Mm -hmm. uh, just given how little we've seen of him at the big league level our sponsor today manscaped is here to make sure you're well groomed above and below the belt manscaped promotes clean hygiene when it comes to shaving with their lawnmower 3.0 personal trimmer manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below the waist grooming and the lawnmower 3.0 is a waterproof cordless body trimmer that makes it safe and easy subscribe to the perfect package and get a new replacement blade refill for your trimmer delivered to your door every three months making sure your trimmer always stays fresh and clean get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code the athletic 20 at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code the athletic 20 and for a limited time, subscribers get not one, but two free gifts, a travel bag, $39 value, and the patented high-performance Manscaped boxer briefs. So go to manscaped.com today and use code THEATHLETIC20. All right, you know, we had a great email follow-up that came in from Levi, and he pointed out that George Kirby, a pitching prospect in the Mariners organization, also has a future command grade of a 70 
a pretty good velocity to go with it, as he points out, 93 to 95. Some pretty interesting grades on his secondary pitches as well. And I think you've brought up the Mariners probably in the last six months at some point as an organization that seems to be making some pretty big strides with its pitching development. So you look at Kirby, fastball slider, curveball changeup, has four graded pitches in that Fangraph scouting report, already has 55 command with room for more, and he's been picking up some velocity according to some of the, the news items I've seen scroll by recently. There's a, a tweet from Shannon Dreyer from 710 ESPN in Seattle that Kirby was hitting the upper 90s with the fastball uh, during simulated games at the alternate training site. So we're kind of ticking some boxes here that are going to give people the Bieber feels, I guess we'll call them. Uh, that's a crazy high bar. But we are talking about a former first-round pick, a guy that has some pedigree anyway and isn't necessarily discussed as an elite of the elite pitching prospect, even though he has potentially elite command. Yeah, it's early going for somebody like LeJay Newsom, but I think he's instructive to talk about here because uh, he's a Seattle guy. He's come up. He's in the big leagues. We get to see some of the relationship between command, uh, the future command score, and then um, – the command plus score in the major leagues and you know you really want about 200 pitches or something and Lejay's not quite there but uh so far he has a 122 command plus and uh, let me just sort my rankings for that because i think that might be uh, one of the best in my rankings yeah uh zach davies Lejay newsome michael pineda not many pitches again zach gallon we've talked about him forever Justin Verlander, Masahiro Tanaka, Aaron Nola, obvious, obvious. Uh, Trevor Williams just missing um, the other stuff. <laughs> and then Paddock, Molly, Mills, Ryu, Hendricks. You know, I I think Command Plus is really uh, solid. Uh, I think LeJay's number will come down a little bit, but it just shows you, I think, how much Command can do for you. I mean, LeJay's other numbers, like he's a 40 future value guy, uh, with a 50 fastball, 45 curve, and 55 change. Like, this is supposed to be a guy who's uh, like a future reliever, maybe even, or just trying to hang on, basically. Um, and he's done he's done well for himself. So take that command and put it in Kirby, uh, who's got a 50 fastball, 55 future, 50 curveball, 55 future, uh, 45 change, 55 future, um, and, and a 40-45 slider. Like... You know, the only question is, you know, can he develop a good slider in a in a slider league? I think, but um, you can see it up and down in Seattle's numbers. Uh, Gilbert has a sixty future command too. Uh, they love command, and the Mariners and Indians have made a big bet on drafting command guys and trying to give them velo and trying to shape their pitches. And I have to tell you, man, Marco Gonzalez. Is as boring as oatmeal, um, but and no one would ever leave. Like if you scouted Marco Gonzalez, you didn't know who he was, and he was in Double A, and you just watched him pitch, you would say, "Command and Control number five, you know, five starter." It was all change up. It was a, it was a really good change up with command, and, and nothing else really jumped off. And the yes, pitch. he's added a cutter, but that's about it. <laughs> yes, he added a cutter, and like. That's what you're asking George Kirby to do, basically, right? Yeah, but he might have better tools to work with from the start. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Um, and even Tristan McKenzie, who I don't think... Uh, the command plus on him has not shown up 
uh, the same way. That's why I caution a little bit on on Lejay Newsom. But uh, the command plus for Tristan McKenzie so far is 99. Still keeps him out of that Josh James territory. Even Christian Javier, even you know a lot of the Astros guys, Astros bet on stuff. And a lot of their guys have really bad command plus numbers when they get to the major leagues and don't make it as starters or underperform. Um, and I, my bet is that as much as I, I love stuff and I'm a stuffist, like I am watching the Seattle pitchers very closely. Kirby, Gilbert, even Newsom. And they've got... Penn Murphy, who I can't wait for people to see him because he's a, a, an NBA having uh, former military guy uh, who throws basically underhanded, <laughs> <laughs> and he's just 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 a really interesting guy. He he thought he would just try uh, baseball out for a second because it might lead to a front office job or who knows what, and and he's he just got added to the major league roster. Um, and they still think maybe he could start, but I think he'll be a good reliever for them. But, uh, yeah, Gilbert, Kirby, Newsome, that, that's the three, the threesome I talked to all have really good heads on their shoulders, all being coached really well, all have good command. Tristan McKenzie came up, uh, yesterday I was on Twitter. I really feel bad. I don't know who put this out there, but I'm looking at baseball savant now because I saw a tweet from somebody who pointed out that McKenzie's average fastball velocity has been down in each of his first four starts. Like he started off at 94.5 in that debut, went down to 93.3, down to 92.7, and now down to 92.4 with his most recent start this week. How troubling is that? Like You kind of expect that extra bump for the first start, so a drop from start one to start two is not really a big deal, but we're talking about almost another full mile per hour from the second start through the fourth start. Could that be you know, Hawkeye-related issues, or is that actually a real sort of concern? with the drop like that. I haven't heard much uh, about Hawkeye with respect to uh, velocity. There's been a, a slight questioning of uh, some of the pitch classifications. I had someone texting me about John Gray throwing uh, sinkers in, um, in Texas and never ever before or after. Um, and there's the question of like, when will we the stuff that we're getting now is basically just a faux track, man. It's not... Um, those are, those are different problems. Uh, so I, I believe that the velocity is down. Um, you know, uh, he is like a hundred pounds soaking wet. Um, and I would point out that there is, um, a debut bump. Uh, that's something I found it can be as much as a, as a, as a tick. So going from 94.8 to 93.7 in the next start, I would still say 93.7 is good. Um, and, uh, that's an acceptable kind of follow up to a debut. Um, I I would, it is a little bit troublesome to me that a guy with arm trouble, um, who looks like he does then lost another tick. So, um, I like that he was back up a little bit, uh, to 92, eight in the next in the, in the last start. And I would hope that he averages over 93 in the next start. Uh, if he doesn't, uh, it's something I'll stash away. It's hard to argue with the results. Um, he's really nice change up. Um, the, the, the mix seems there. The command is at least league average when he's over 93, he's got better than average velo. but it is something to worry about. It is something to look at, especially since uh dude had a real hard time. I think he missed a whole season 2019. He missed all of 2019. 
and even before that, like uh, 2018 was only 90 innings, 16 starts. 2016 was 80 innings, 15 starts. Like they've been slow walking this guy for a reason. I like him, but it's the prime time to deal him away in a long-term league. If you had someone interested in, in paying up for Tristan McKenzie, I think you know the velo drop, the injury history, he's pitched well so far. There's just enough there where you can probably uh, max out what you're going to get for him right now if your league's trade deadline hasn't passed. I'd package him for like Zach Gallon right yeah, now. McKenzie you know? plus maybe gets you there uh, at this point. Yeah. Um, so hopefully it's nothing, but uh, something to watch very closely. And again, I apologize to if someone listened to the show who put that out there. I wish I could give you credit. It just got me to look closer at that, and it's definitely a concerning trend with McKenzie. If you're enjoying this show on a platform that allows you to rate and review the podcast, please give us a rating and review. We greatly appreciate that. Uh, if you don't already have a subscription to The Athletic, you can get a subscription for a, a dollar, one dollar per month at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Get Eno's articles and rankings, all of our baseball coverage, fantasy baseball coverage, fantasy football stuff. A Premier League starting up again soon. We got NBA coverage from the bubble. We got NHL dual bubble action as well. Lots to read each and every day. And just want to say thank you again to everybody who has been supporting the site with a subscription already. Thanks to everybody who has rated and reviewed the podcast. We really appreciate your support. Obviously, uh, if you were on Twitter yesterday, you probably saw that as a company, The Athletic reached 1 million subscribers and uh, just means uh, the world, I think, to both of us that people pay to you know read and, and hear our work and support what we do. Uh, hopefully, you know we're able to continue doing this long into the future. But if you don't have that subscription yet, a dollar a month is, I think, the cheapest offer we've ever put out there. So theathletic.com slash rates and barrels if you'd like to get that. Uh, as always, you can reach us via email, ratesandbarrels at theathletic.com. Be sure to spell out the word and if you do that on Twitter. He's at Eno Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. That is going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you Friday. I say it every time, but I mean it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.